And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben. You know, it is our monthly special here in November 28th, and it's our return to Rendlesham number six, our 14th hour on the air with the eyewitnesses and experts involved in the Rendlesham Forest case of 1980, uh, which we are celebrating uh, the 30th anniversary almost next month. A tremendous uh, event in UFO history with eyewitnesses from the U.S. Air Force who are courageously speaking out to this day. Now, fellas, we're going to continue with some questions here that are because they're coming in fast and furiously here. And I started uh, reading Ronnie Dugdale's question, uh, Great Yarmouth, England, where he lives, and I'll start again. We can take it from the top. Uh, hi, Paul and Ben. Please, uh, can you ask Chuck Halt if he believed the craft in Rendlesham Forest was E.T.? And if he answers yes, could you please ask him to explain his interpretation of E.T.? Does he mean from another planet, or does he include in his interpretation of E.T. the possibility that it could be us from another time or us from another time and planet? You got all that, Chuck? <laughs> well, what a question. Yeah. Well... Hey, I only delivered. Don't look at me. I, I hear you. What I saw in the sky, the movement, the speed, the sharp angular turns. I mean, I've pulled seven or eight Gs, and I know what it's like. I mean, your vision goes down to a pinpoint, and to go beyond that, you don't. These objects were turning at unbelievable speed, sharp angular turns. Nothing human could have survived inside them as we know it. It had to be something either extraterrestrial or remotely controlled from some other place. Now, I've never ruled out the possibility that there might be another dimension involved, but I firmly believe they were from somewhere beyond us. Okay. All right, well, here's another question. This is for you, Chuck. This is from signed only ex-cop on New York. I don't know New York City or where, but a question to Chuck Hall. Chuck, was there an underground hospital and car park on Bentwater's base under the area of the old Photoshop which is now a residential area. Gosh, you no, know, it's not a residential area, by the way. It's still an industrial area. A friend of mine owns it, uh, Bill Kimball, his family. They actually owned the airfield before the war and had it taken. But anyhow, let's go back to the question. The whole base there is almost at sea level. There is no facility underground. The only thing that resembles anything underground are a couple of World War II bunkers, which were abandoned. They were six or eight feet deep. Uh, even our hardened command post was built above ground and with blast walls. We didn't have anything underground. Keep in mind, yes, secret facilities could have been drilled and bored and excavated, but you'd have had to have pumps and a lot of maintenance and a lot of effort to keep them dry. We had no such things. Hmm. Okay. All right, well, here's another. We'll just keep rolling here. This is one from John in the U.K., I would like to ask Colonel Halt, Chuck, you're the man of the hour here. I would like to ask uh, Colonel Halt if you were given the opportunity to, if you were given the opportunity to sit down with anyone you chose and ask them questions about this incident, who would it be and why? Well, I can answer that question. The problem is I'm not sure. The agency I would like to talk with would probably be the OSI people that were on the base at the time. I did ask him because I was the OSI commander was a personal friend, and whenever the incident occurred, I said to him, "Do you have any interest? Do you want to be involved? Do you know anything about it?" And I got the the dumb treatment from him, and I believed him. I'm firmly convinced that they may not have been involved in the investigation, the undercover or behind the scenes investigation, but they certainly knew all about it and had uh, outside agencies helping them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to extend to that to anyone else on the panel, uh, Jim. 
John, Stan, um, is, is the Gary, are you still with us? What? Yeah, okay. So any of you fellows want to deal with that, uh, John? I would like to talk to, I guess the best way to put it, if you're talking about Bentwaters itself, I'd like to go straight to the source, that's Gabriel. Because Gabriel came in and took all the information, and and he's the one that would have been the one to decide where, who, and how, and he would have been aware of what agencies were, were dealing with it. And it was clear through the British that admitted that he came in and took all this stuff. So I would say he would be the one to give you a better brief on who's got what and where it was going. I mean, unfortunately, I don't believe he's still alive, but that would be the person I'd want to know uh, oh, when you... I talk to the most about it. Can you remind us who that was? What was his full name? The first is named General Gabriel. Oh, General Gabriel. Okay. U.S. Air Force? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. I'd like to, I'd like to talk to uh, whoever was in charge of Majestic 12 at that time and find out what report they got. And we all. <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't know how to find that person. <laughs> yeah. Well, Stan, if you don't, nobody does, I'll tell you. All right, uh, anyone else? Uh, Jim? Uh... Well, I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, I, just, uh, I, think, I think what I'd rather have than talk to a person, I would just like to have my statement released that I gave at the OSI building. Um, that would be enough right there, I think. Okay. All right, so, uh, Gary? Okay. Yeah, well, from my point of view, I, I think we're touching just on a, a hypothetical wish list question, and the reality is that even if those people were put in a room to talk about this, they'd be under security orders, and it's in, 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 a, in a sense, it's a pointless question because we'll, we'll never know, but we have to work on the facts that we've already got. And when we talk about uh, is it ET or some interdimensional, yes, those are all possibilities, but the, the, the question I look at it from a police point of view is looking at the evidence, and the evidence is based on the testimony of those involved primarily on the first night and the third night with Holt, is the fact is what else could it be? Because if we go through terrestrial conventional explanations, we can rule out every one of them, and then we're left with that it's something way beyond our technology that moves in a way that we can't operate and still can't now 30 years later. And that's the real question is, what else could it be? Now, what's inside or where it's actually from is another matter, but it certainly wasn't terrestrial, conventional hardware that was seen at Rendlesham. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, let's, uh, if anyone else has any comment on that, uh, please go ahead. Otherwise, we'll move on. Okay. The next one is from Jim in Georgia, Georgia, USA. Uh, following Stan's topic a bit, have there been any major sightings connected with, quote, broken arrow, unquote, events? I'm not familiar with it. Uh, I.e. lost nukes, such as the one here off the coast of Georgia or the one in Spain, etc. Yeah, there's a bit of an addendum here. I always thought it strange that the H-bomb lost here in Georgia was never found, nor were a few others. So I don't know who wants to go ahead with that one. Boy, there's a whole book about uh, trying to dig up the ones off Spain, for example. Uh, the B-52 went down and uh, with several nukes on board. Uh, 
I don't think it had anything to do with flying saucers. I, I don't mean that, but just yes. that there have been broken arrow events. There was one that fell out of an airplane in New Mexico. Didn't detonate. As a nuclear guy, I can say that I'm proud to say that nobody has uh, accidentally detonated a nuclear weapon. And one of the marvels of the last, well, since the war, let's say, uh, is that nobody has dropped a nuclear weapon in anger. And I think I'd like to keep it that way, but I'm saying that that's a remarkable thing. And maybe it's because aliens have been sending messages. I don't know about that. Yeah. Well, I think the question, too, is, uh, well, that, well, I guess uh, there may not be any UFO connection, but I guess the, this uh, Jim wants to know, have there been any uh, UFO, UFO sightings connected with Broken Arrow? And Broken Arrow events uh, are, are lost nuclear ordnance? Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. So uh, if you go to the nuclear, if you go to the atomic museum, and now it's in Albuquerque, uh, they have some pictures uh, from Sandia of airplanes that crashed that had nuclear weapons on board, and a couple of cases the uh, chemical explosives uh, got spread around. Yeah, but there was no release of, there's no serious release of nuclear material because there are a lot of. protection devices built into these systems. We're not casual about nuclear weapons. Well, the, the sense uh, I get from Jim's, Jim's question here is uh, his implication. I think that uh, is there any evidence that a UFO has ever taken a nuclear weapon? I think that's what he might be getting at here. Oh, well, I don't know of any. Maybe somebody else does. But <laughs> oh. if, there, if, if such an event had taken place, I doubt very much if we would be hearing about it in public. Well, exactly. Yeah. Remember right. that there are a lot of terrorists who would love to grab a nuclear weapon as well. Very true. Very true. Uh, anyone else have a comment on uh, Jim's uh, Jim's question or Jim's point? Here, Jim, the, the the listener. Okay. All right. All right. Well, very good. Well, then, in that case, uh, Stan, I'm going to um, that's uh, it for our uh, write-ins at this point, and I'm going to try to uh, I'm going to hand it back to you for any further questions you might have, and you mentioned you might want to take this another direction, so please uh, please feel free. Go right ahead. Well, I think that uh, I, I'm interested in the reaction these guys have had in their public appearances, and. Uh, is it safe to say that you wouldn't say that nobody should ever talk about their experience? In other words, the response hasn't been so bad that you would advise people don't get involved, say nothing, et cetera, et cetera. You think it's worthwhile for witnesses to speak out? Okay, uh, Jim? Well, I, uh, and Colonel Halt knows this, uh, I... I just, it was never supposed to be released with us, and uh, I would have very sure. well uh, liked it to be that way. Uh, I would like this never have seen the light of day, so uh, um, I'm not sure if, uh, and, you know, ours is the actual incident. I mean, it's not some fringe UFO stuff. I mean, uh, the people that do fringe UFO reports, I suggest they keep quiet. Uh, you know, uh <laughs> That's what causes the legitimate stuff, all the problems. Uh, so um, do I regret reporting that it was an aircraft crash and what it was? No. Uh, I did what I had to do out there. That's what I got paid for, and uh, that's what I did. Uh, so I think we're in a different realm of it, uh, the military. When you're doing your job, it's a different story. Um, 
if I was just uh, walking uh, down a path uh, in a field uh, uh, next week, uh, no, I wouldn't report it. Okay. Uh, okay, uh, Chuck, do you want to comment on uh, Stan's question? No, not really. I think Jim covered it pretty well. Okay. All right, uh, John's back with us. John, uh, Stan was asking, uh, uh, well, Stan, why don't you restate your question for Johnny? He wasn't with us. Well, uh, do you feel that uh, you would advise people, that, you know, to talk about events if they have the opportunity and they're not violating security? I, I respect security, I should add. Uh, I surprise people by saying I don't think everything about flying saucers should be put on the table. I don't think technical data that might be of use to an enemy should be put out in the public. And I get people saying, well, aren't we entitled to know everything? And I say, no. I worked under security for 14 years. Uh, there's a guy named Osama and a few other guys out there. You can't tell your friends without telling your enemies. Yeah. They, they listen to the radio, too, you know. <laughs> and so uh, I... I am not advising it would be counterproductive for me to tell anybody who's had a security clearance and had an event that's been classified, was a witness to an event that's been classified. For me to try to encourage him to speak out is almost like uh, pushing for treason, and I don't do that yeah. uh, because I understand how security works. On the other hand, the general public who might be in the right place at the right time to see something spectacular, uh, that's another story. Okay. And I think they should come forward. Uh, but uh, what I'm trying to get at, I guess, is that the treatment you guys have received has not been that bad as to discourage everybody from talking. Your pensions weren't stopped. That's right, I hope. Chuck, you getting a pension? I sure am. Now, the interesting thing is I have never been formally debriefed. Nobody has ever said anything to me. None of the documents that I had my hands on or was involved in were ever stamped classified. Oh. Uh, you know, it, it's very interesting. When I retired, I was involved, as you probably know, at a pretty well high-placed position and received a very thorough debriefing. And yeah. I said specifically to the debriefers, may I say anything about the Bentwaters incident? And they looked at each other. There were two of them. And they said, what's that? And I just briefly said, well, we had probably what you would call a UFO encounter. And they said, oh, well, you can talk about it. I was approached by Unsolved Mysteries. You probably know about the program back in 1991, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. And then I had uh, inspection oversight of the Department of Defense. And I went to my boss, and I said, may I do this program? And he said, tell me about it. And I explained and sat down for an hour and a half or two hours and walked him through the whole thing, everything I knew. And he said, go ahead and do it. So I did it. You find that interesting, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> Very interesting. Uh, well, you know, I can give you something in parallel with that, and this shocks people. When I was working for Westinghouse, Astro Nuclear Lab on nuclear rockets, uh, I was starting, that, that's when I first started lecturing. And I... Uh, We've got a lot of interest, uh, technical groups and stuff. And I finally went to my boss and I said, you know, I, I need some guidance here. I, I've got a house, a mortgage, a wife, a kid, a security clearance. I don't want to lose any of these things. So I need some guidance from the company about what I can do. So they came back to me uh, several days later and they gave me three rules. 
they said, you can say what you please on your time. You can identify yourself as a Westinghouse nuclear physicist. But we'd like you to preface your remarks with a disclaimer that the views you're about to hear are mine and mine alone and not those of my company. And I said, gee, that's great. Okay, what else could you ask for? Well, I did ask for something else. I had a call from somebody at Los Alamos, somebody I knew on radiation shielding for nuclear rockets. He said, Stan, how about speaking to our American Nuclear Society chapter here? I said, oh, I'd love to. He said, no, I mean on an expense account. I mean, he's in Los Alamos. I'm in Pittsburgh. It's a long plane flight, you know. And uh, I said, well, I'll ask management. And management said yes. They paid for, and nobody was hiding it. I could have had a cover story that we were talking about shielding. But everybody knew that I was going there to give a talk. We had over 500 people. There were no negative questions. Talked about it during the day. We went around and talked to different people. So, uh, you know, what else could you ask for? As I say, uh, uh, the company was good about it. Uh, now, we didn't get into classified areas. I mean, I had a clearance, but I didn't get anything classified about UFOs as a need to know in my clearance, <laughs> as you can imagine. So uh, they, they they treated me fairly and squarely. And I say that for the benefit of listeners who may think that, oh, you better not stick your neck out here. Well, I did. And, uh, you know, there were no bad ramifications. They had a big crowd for their lecture, one of the biggest they'd ever had. <laughs> interesting. A lot of interesting people. Indeed. Uh, yeah. John, you never had a chance to respond to uh, Stan's question about the wisdom of coming forward and uh, anything else that's been said since. Well, to me, it, it comes back to I would never have come forward if it hadn't been for what happened. Um, because just for the fact that I can't, I can't give you a definite answer to this day. Now, what I've been behind the scenes working on it, and do I feel like there's something that possibly there's more to it now that we could find out or there was a reason why we were contacted, there is something that drives me to that. But ultimately, when I've come out and stepped out and talked about it, no, because because of all the ridicule we receive. And the ridicule, what I mean by that is, is ultimately when it comes down to it, we can't explain what it is, and that always leaves you open to, to, to face ridicule and to have people tell you, well, no, this is just what it was. And when they get to that point, when they sit there and they never even visited the area, when they never seen the area, when they have no idea what we did for a living, how we did our job, the protocol of the military or anything else, and for them to sit there and hammer us like that, that that's what that's what gets to me because they don't know, and they they don't treat us fairly. The, the easiest thing to do is, well, I don't agree with your assumption, which is fair, but when we sit there and tell them what we saw and what we saw it do, and for them to try to tell us that's not what we saw, that's what gets to me the most. That's what's wrong. And the fact that they have no idea what we were doing or what our job was. Yeah. Uh, Gary, do you have a comment? Well, it, it, it's, it's to me, it's all on the same thing, that, uh, that when people, uh, especially with regards to Rendlesham, like 
what John's just said, who haven't been there, haven't walked through the field, haven't checked where the creek is, etc., etc., then it's an insult to the people involved, you know. And and we're talking about highly qualified, specially trained uh, U.S. Air Force police officers, deputy base commander of a strategic facility, you know, sergeants, uh, well-qualified people. Their testimony, as, a, as I look at it as a, through police eyes, their testimony in any other kind of scenario, i.e. had it have been a plane crash, wouldn't they have called on the uh, U.S. Air Force police to go into Rendlesham Forest if a, if a, a jumbo jet had crashed? Whose testimony then would the people have wanted? It would have been the people on the scene. And who would have they relied upon? All the U.S. Air Force police who went out there. It is only because this subject is ridiculed and has been for 60 years that we end up having this discussion 60 years later, and it's an ongoing thing. You can go back to the radio stories and debates from the 40s, the 50, well, from the 50s onwards, and it's still the same story. People who come out and, and tell the truth, because it is the truth, they get ridiculed, or the media who play an active part just dumb it down. And 60 years on, I don't really think we've moved that much on in our uh, attempts <laughs> to break through that media gridlock. Okay. Well, gentlemen, we're coming almost into our uh, final half hour of our, our whole series here, and the question arises, where does it go from here? Now, uh, from a practical standpoint, if, if uh, one or two of you want to fill us in on the events of next month, I think that might be a start to answer the question from a, on the ground. Well, I can, tell you, I can tell you one thing that may happen that I expect to happen, that I want to happen, uh, there's a guy named Bryce Zabel in Hollywood, Stellar Productions. He put on uh, and was in charge of Dark Skies. Remember back oh, yeah. uh, yep. about secret investigators and all that sort of stuff. His name is Bryce Zabel. And he, his company has bought my life story and uh, Don Schmidt's life story. He's a big Braswell investigator. And the rights to my book, uh, Top Secret Magic, about the Majestic 12 documents, and Don's book, uh, Witness to Roswell. And he's working on a screenplay as we speak to make, hopefully, a dynamite Hollywood movie, Magic Men, M-A-J-I-C. Hmm. And it would be a, sort of a, a all the president's men and JFK combined. <laughs> if you can imagine oh, that. Yes. A dramatic presentation of the ups and downs of research. My focus on MJ-12, Don's on Roswell, the good times, the bad times, the debunkers. Uh, and, you know, I hate to admit it as the author or co-author of five books, that movies can have a big impact. Oh, yes. <laughs> More people will see a movie than will read my books. I think that's pretty straightforward. And so something like that might, well, because Hollywood is a copycat town, if they see that it does well, then there will be others who say, hey, maybe we should do something, an investigation of this stuff. And, you know, I'm constantly, when I was on the college circuit, more than 600 colleges I've spoken at, I'm constantly being told afterward that, gee, we've never had so many people here for a lecture. 
and, or so many people from off campus. Uh, and I, I'm not bragging about that. I mean, it, it, the subject has a great deal of interest. And if you present somebody with qualifications, whether it's a nuclear physicist who worked for industrial companies or a Colonel Halt, uh, the public tends to feel that these people ought to be listened to. It's, you know, I, I'm not sure how I stand, but I want to hear what you have to say. And so if something like Magic Men would go ahead, Maybe it'll shake up the New York Times and the Washington Post. And I, I would like to present data on a new disease. Uh, there's a special syndrome that if uh, I, I take great pride, uh, only smart people have this syndrome. I take great pride in knowing what's important in the world. I read the New York Times, and uh, I see nothing in there that says flying saucers are real. And so, therefore, they must not be. I'm not going to waste my time looking into it. Uh, this is what I heard from a guy with a big talk show in New York. And uh, what I think we need to do is to go past that, to recognize that we're dealing with the sensitive egos of our media superstars who would have to admit that they had ignored something this important uh, for more than 60 years. Once we get past that, the new generation, I mean, Max Planck, a great German physicist, once said, new ideas come to be accepted, not because their opponents come to believe in them, but because their opponents die and a new generation grows up that's accustomed to them. Mm. And today's younger generation has grown up at a time when people are saying, boy, it's a big universe out there. And it's an old universe out there, and surely we can't be the only ones around. And yes, occasionally governments have lied, so we can't always believe them. Times have changed in my lifespan. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, so I'm hopeful that something like this movie, or if something else comes along, will shake people enough to give them guts enough to stand up and treat the subject seriously. Okay. And Gary, you and uh, Chuck are working on a film. How's that going? Well, we've been collaborating on a uh, film script to bring everybody's accounts together in a cohesive way, um, and that uh, process now moves back to the uh, producer who made the original Roswell to TV film, uh, and it will go back to him. He, he saw me in February and gave me some advice on where we were at the time and uh, on how to bring it together. He did say that quite a lot of people in Hollywood had looked at uh, the Rendlesham case, but it was it was over several nights. It's uh, an ensemble piece, and how do you bring it all together? So he gave me some advice. Uh, I've gone away, and uh, that process is, is active now. The uh, the, the redraft uh, of uh, of that scenario has recently gone to Colonel Holt when I saw him just a couple of weeks ago, and he liked that version. So that's now going to go back to uh, the producer who made Roswell, and, and we'll see uh, where we go from there. But touching on what uh, uh, Stan said, uh, basically uh, I see the reason why this has to be made. Sooner or later it will be made, whether I'm involved or not. But sooner or later I think Rendlesham will be made, uh, because for me it's an even better case than, than than Roswell, brilliant though that is, simply because it's more, it's newer and it is purely military and uh, a lot of people who were there have gone on the record. 
the likes of the people around the panel today. Uh, Rendlesham uh, has many facets that would make great dramatic viewing. You know, UFOs, you, you've got uh, strategic military, you have uh, the uh, what I believe is a cover-up afterwards. All those ingredients make for a great film, and I, I think that sooner or later it will be made. But the reason why it needs to be made is because I'm trying to reach a wider audience than the people who believe in this subject. I want to reach the person on the street and reach a mass audience that have never really been told the truth. And a film allows that to be done. So Stanton is absolutely right. You know, more people will go see a, a, a blockbuster film if it's done well uh, around the world. And literally hundreds of millions of people will see for the first time, the extent of what real testimony can give if it's done well. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, now, just a question for all three witnesses. Uh, we're talking about films. We're talk talking about things that are going to happen. Uh, the reunion next month, which we'll talk about as well. But we've had one witness who was on the first few shows who said he enjoyed being on the show, but he just had had enough of this whole subject. Uh, and the question is, for you three witnesses, uh, where do you go from here? I mean, have you had enough of this subject? Will the 30th anniversary be enough? Uh, or do you feel that the message is so important, even though you don't know what happened to you, that you're going to continue at least to talk about the experience and to try and, and uh, educate others? So, well, how, how did the three of you feel about that? I guess it certainly start with, uh, uh, with, with Chuck and then move on. Well, I, I primarily respond when asked or asked to speak. I have not gone out and sought publicity. In fact, you know, and these people that say, you know, you're making a lot of money on this. The last time I spoke, I lost almost a thousand dollars. Oh yeah, I know that. Believe it or not, I know that horse. So, you know, it, it, and I'm not going to do that again, to be honest with you. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't push it hard. Uh, it needs to get out there. Uh, there is an audience. It's very obvious. There's a lot of people interested, and Gary has been very diligently working with the, the story to get it all put together in a you know good format, and uh, I certainly hope it works. Okay. I'm not worried about it selling. I'm worried about getting the word getting out there, I guess. Right. Okay. Uh, Jim? Well, I think that uh, the 28th uh, will have uh, more information that we are going to release uh Throughout the years, you know, we've been letting more and more information out. It's because, uh, actually, of uh, the people just can't handle it, I don't think, uh, what, not least initially, what really happened. Um, so John and I are going to be in discussion about this and what we're going to actually release and, because of what we already know. There's evidence that people don't have out there. There's evidence. Uh, okay. Uh, Jimmy, with us? Hmm. The gremlins are at it again. <laughs> Stan, you have no idea what we go through on this show. Uh, okay, that's uh, just as he was about to uh, talk about new revelations. Uh, John, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, do you want to continue where Jim left off? Okay, here's the thing. I Either when we were out there, what happened to us has a meaning. And, and Jim and I are coming to that point where, well, we hadn't talked for a long time, where we've actually sat down and gone over things. We met in Phoenix a couple months ago um, when we were doing a, a TV production that's going to air in December. Um, more things came out. We've come to realize more things. So 
there's something that's pushing us to go over there, okay? And it's just as simple as that. Inside of us, there's a drive for us to go over there. Uh, there is a couple things that we've never talked about and have never been released, and some of it just recently has been verified. Um, so there is a there is a strong desire for us to go over there. We feel that we may come up with more. Um, whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, if you look at our hypnosis, uh, there's a lot of stuff in our hypnosis that when people talk about hypnosis that we were led on, there's a lot of it that isn't. There's a lot of stuff that we would just simply talk about what happened and what came out. Um, the big picture, honestly, is if there's some importance to us and we were, we definitely had something happen to us, we're going to find out what it is, and it's going to move on. Um, we're... As far as Jim and I go, we're not doing this for, I don't know what the word, publicity or, or anything. We, we really do want to go over there. We're going over there on the 28th because we feel there's a reason to go over there, and we feel something more, we're going to understand something better when we get over there and, and recall it and everything else. So, yeah, there's a reason why we're going over there. We're not going over for publicity. Um, we're going to do a small speaking engagement for the people that live there and, and talk about it together for the first time, and hopefully some more witnesses will come forward that have seen things. Because from my understanding, there's been a lot of activity there just besides what happened to us. So hopefully that explains it as best I can right now. Okay. Can you give us a hint about any sort of um, new revelations? Or are um, you going to hold it, hold it for next month? The revelations will come if there really is revelations. I mean, I hear you. we'll okay. see what happens. You understand right. what I mean? There's some things yeah. that point towards something. We could mm-hmm. be totally wrong. I mean, and we could just be out in left field. But people have instincts, and they have gut feelings, and they have things that come to them. And all that's working with us right now, and for whatever reason, it's happening. And we'll see what happens. But, yeah, if there is something there, we definitely will talk about it. Yes. Okay. All right, now we have one, one more question from a listener. But before that, uh, John, if you, if you could just tell us the basic schedule uh, of what's happening next month. And uh, I know you're going to be speaking at the Woodbridge uh, Town Hall or, or uh, something to that effect. Could you just tell us what, what exactly is happening? Uh, what's the schedule for the reunion? Well, it's not really a reunion. I, I tried to get a reunion together, but there's been a whole bunch of reasons why people can't come, this and that, whatever. So okay. anyone that lives there, and there's quite a few military people that live over there now, they're retired over there, they had something to do with the distance, and we hope they'll show up. And anyone else who just maybe wants to show up. But what it's really going to come down to is Jim and I are going to be out there on the 28th. We're going to do a speaking engagement at 6, and then we're going to go out into the forest, and we're going to be over by the East Gate, and we're going to talk about it and then go out into the area where we had our encounter and talk about it. And one of the things that's interesting is, is Ritapath has always said that our incident, or he's tried to hint that our incident had something to do with the lighthouse. Well, where we had what happened to us happen, it's not the lighthouse. It wasn't even involved. It wasn't even there. And that would be one of the things that it will easily be seen that that night. You'll see that whatever else he wants to say, it couldn't have been the lighthouse. We weren't drawn out there by the lighthouse, and it wasn't the lighthouse where we had whatever happened to us happened to us. So that was another thing that we wanted to do, and anyone who wanted to come out there and get a feel for it. Because there's a lot of people out there that have never been there, and it seems like there's going to be a huge response, because just in less than a week, they had uh, over 100 tickets sold, which over there doesn't move very fast, and who else knows who will show up. 
And it may be, just maybe, we'll get some eyewitnesses that have never talked about it before, never you know, saw something that will come out there. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, uh, well, we have a, a question. I guess I'll have to make it our final question. From This is from Ronnie Dugdale, uh, once again, in Great, uh, great Yarmouth in England. And uh, Paul and Ben, the debunkers hide behind their computers and take pot shots. They have been invited to meet at the 28th December seminar, which you just talked about, John, uh, but they won't show. Ask yourself, why wouldn't they want to attend this historic event? One by one, their theories have crashed and burned, but still they regurgitate the same squit, uh, parenthesis, that's Norfolk for rubbish. <laughs> Just my opinion, of course. Okay, more, more of a uh, comment from Ronnie here, uh, whom you all meet, I'm sure, at the, at the event. So again, uh, the 28th. Now we have Jim back here. Jim, we were uh, we lost you there for a minute. We were talking about the uh, the reunion, its schedule, and um, what, what uh, you and, and John may be um, maybe seeing if there's something else to reveal. Would you want to comment on that? Well, I'm not sure we're going to reveal anything. We're looking at yeah. the past 30 years and look what the people have done with uh, the information we have let out. Mm. So maybe we'll just keep that to ourselves. I'm not sure yet. We're going to have to discuss that. But. Okay. Uh, uh, what we're going to do on the, on the 28th is that, uh, John has already said, we're going to go out there and uh, we're going to have a, a, uh, a presentation in Woodbridge, explain a little bit about the event, go on out to the uh, Eastgate area, and we're going to go and uh, show them exactly what happened, you know, our, our walkthrough of the uh, incident on the first night, and uh, uh, let, any, let everybody, you know, weigh and decide themselves, you know, and it also puts that lighthouse thing, buried and dead because you can't mm-hmm. see the lighthouse location anyway so that, that's uh, something some guy worked 30 years on saying is just going to go up and smoke um, yeah. so you know that's one of the things he was a matter of fact none of the debunkers would go out there and uh, you know I'm pretty much fed up with the debunkers and so whether I'm going to share any more knowledge with the rest of the world on this stuff I don't mm-hmm. know uh, okay. that's something John and I are going to talk about uh, in depth and uh, because we do have more facts and more evidence, and uh, um, it's it's debatable whether or not we're going to release it. Uh, it just might be something that John and I live with. Okay. All right. Uh, well, right. Stan, uh, did you want to um, sort of start to sum up here? I think uh, might be the time for that. And any other thoughts you have? Well, I, I think it's useful to hear the statements from people who were there who have had a chance to be bounced off and to bounce ideas off other people. And we still have the situation in which they're so convinced that something quite extraordinary happened. Even if we don't know where it came from or who built it or what they want or, you know, the license plate number. And it's good to see that uh, even after all these years, uh, they're, they're pretty much convinced. And Dr. J. Allen Hynek wrote a book, The UFO Experience. He was the Air Force Project Blue Book consultant for 20 years. And he called it the UFO Experiences because he found, as I have, as I'm sure Gary has, that people who've had a relatively close encounter with the UFO, you can talk about it 10 years, 20 years, 30 years later, and it's still as fresh as if it happened the day before because it had an impact on them. It's not a casual experience that you brush off. It makes you wonder and worry, maybe, <laughs> what's going on. So uh, Rendlesham is that kind of experience for the people who are involved. 
And I think it's important to make other people aware that uh, there have been such experiences. I talk to people who think nobody else has seen anything. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they don't want to talk. Well, having guys like this go public is a big help in saying it's okay. Come on. Okay. Speak up. All right. So I'm, I'm glad uh, you're making progress. I mean, you're only devoting, what, 14 hours? Oh, yeah. That's not much. <laughs> so, well, we hopefully covered the subject thoroughly. Now, uh, gentlemen, I wanted to give all, at the risk of being accused of trying to make money at this uh, for all of you, uh, I, I wanted to give all of you a chance to, to mention uh, your websites, your, any books you have, uh, certainly Stan uh, there, too, and, of course, Gary with the film, and other things, Facebook, any way people can contact you, uh, uh, any uh, lectures you're you're presenting? Uh, so I guess why don't we just start randomly here uh, with um, John Burroughs? Uh, what uh, I know certainly you'll be speaking uh, on the 28th and at uh, in Woodbridge. But anything else? Uh, any other way people can contact you? Are you willing to be contacted? What's happening? Well, the justice uh, site for justice for the men and women of the 81st. Um, We'll be in England on the 28th. Um, I just found out recently um, Jim and I were going to be with Linda in uh, the Open Minds uh, uh, Conference in, at the end of February, and I don't want to take the Sunday away from Colonel Hall. He can talk about it a little bit more, but he had just told me that he's going to be there also. So the interesting thing will be for the first time Jim and I will ever be on stage together in England talking about something together. And then in February, it looks like the three of us will be together with Linda Moulton Howe. So Excellent. that's pretty much what I got coming up. Very good. Okay, and certainly the uh, the site uh, Justice for the eighty uh, first at, at Benton Waters is an excellent site. There are over uh, well over four thousand uh, people who have uh, become, I guess, uh, friends of the site or, or, or uh, whatever they call it on Facebook, including myself and Ben. Uh, okay, uh, so uh, Jim, uh, what what do you uh, have coming up? I'm sure you're, you're doing a lot with John. What else is uh, what else should people know? Well, we have a lot uh, coming up with far speaking in that, but. Uh... Uh, I guess more importantly, we do have a website. It's www.bentwaters1980.com, uh, uh, and that will list uh, any place where we're going to be appearing or uh, anything relevant as far as questions or stuff like that they want answered. They can go to that website, and uh, we'll be glad to answer them. Uh, just don't expect to answer, like, within 24 hours. Give us a little time with it so we can get back to them. Exactly, and a very beautifully designed site, I might add. Uh, certainly, that, and that Chuck, uh, what uh, what would you uh, contribute to that? Uh, those comments. Well, I don't have a website to be honest with you. I, I do plan on being out to the Open Minds Conference in February. I'm able to make that one, and then look forward to meeting Jim and the John and uh, hashing over some old details. Yeah. Yeah, sounds okay. great. All right, very good. Okay, uh, and, and I guess, uh, Gary, if you're still with us, I hope you are. Uh, what uh, You talked about the film. Uh, you have a website, and uh, what else is going on with you that people can uh, can, can look at? Well, basically, uh, I would just direct people to uh, look at my police website, which is uh, totally devoted to, to, to police officers coming forward, uh, well over 800 British police officers in the U.K. alone. Uh, it's a tip of an iceberg. I've got a done a couple of documentaries recently, one with Colonel Holt and one for the Asian astronauts. Um, very busy time, and obviously I'm going to be uh, waiting to see what this producer says about the script. Uh, so I'll keep people in, uh, informed, and, it's, and I'll update them on my website. I'm on Facebook. If you, anybody wants to contact me, by all means do so. 
Very good. Okay, and certainly, uh, Stan, please uh, tell us about uh, your books and what's okay. going as well. Well, I do have a website, very, very easy, www.stantonfriedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, that spelling gets some people confused, <laughs> .com. Uh, I uh, have, it lists all five of my books and a bunch of DVDs and a big reports like Project Blue Book Special Report number 14, and you can't really get anyplace else. Uh, I will be at that Open Minds Conference, too, as a matter of fact, in uh, the Phoenix area toward the end of February. I'll be in at a thing called TruthCon in uh, Atlanta on February 4th and 5th, and I'll be in Lawrence, Kansas in March. At, these will all be posted on my website. And, of course, I'll be at the Roswell Conference next year uh, in early July. Um, and uh, I, I don't expect – I'm going to be at a, a, this conference in Saudi Arabia, and uh, Innovation and UFOs, there's a panel of us, including uh, Nick Pope and Michio Kaku and uh, a couple of other people who I can't remember at the moment. And I'm looking forward to that just because uh, it's a whole different thing. Innovation and UFOs, what can we learn about the world of the future by studying these obviously futuristic kind of systems. And so, uh, and the movie, of course, whenever it gets out, and I don't know when it's going to be, but the books uh, include the Betty and Barney Hill case. We haven't even talked about abductions. The book is captured, uh, which has a lot of new information that most people are not aware of. Uh, my book, Flying Saucers in Science, which does get into the question of you can get here from there and what's wrong with SETI and the silly effort to investigate, you know. One of my favorite uh, books. Uh, and also uh, Top Secret Magic, M-A-J-I-C, about the Majestic 12 documents, and Crash at Corona, the definitive study of the Roswell incident. and. It is interesting to see how much effort the Air Force has officially made to debunk Roswell with two huge reports. There's no other case, although maybe they'll do the same with Rendlesham. <laughs> uh, it makes enough noise. Uh, two huge reports about Roswell. And my favorite of all reports about Roswell is the Roswell Report case close, in which they explain the reports of bodies as crash test dummies which were dropped all over New Mexico. And yes, there were crash test dummies and they were dropped all over New Mexico. There was a little problem, however. None were dropped until six years after Roswell. Hey, who's counting? And according to the man who was in charge of the program, Colonel Madsen, whose picture's in the Air Force report, they obviously didn't talk to him, he stressed, when I met with him in person, that the crash test dummies for the test to be meaningful were six feet tall, weighed 175 pounds, and were in uniform. Now, how do you morph that down and time travel six years to wind up with little four-foot-tall, skinny little guys with big heads? I don't know, but they managed to do it. And the New York Times bought it. What else matters? Indeed. <laughs> Well, uh, I just think it's funny. It is, it is. Well, after 14 hours on the air with this radio series, as we said, Ben and I want to leave you with this thought. 
With all that we've said and heard here, we are no closer to solid answers about what happened at Rendlesham Forest to these brave men in 1980. But we have, we believe, learned one thing for certain. In the end, all we really have is each other. Now, this is the last in our regular shows on the Return to Rendlesham series. Next month, uh, the 30-year event is planned at Rendlesham Forest itself. And uh, while we do not anticipate being able to do a live broadcast from there, we do hope to capture the events and the drama for broadcast uh, later in December. So please watch for an announcement of that show. Uh, In the meantime, Ben and I offer our sincerest thanks to all those who have worked so hard to make this historic series such a worldwide success, especially those eyewitnesses who have made themselves available multiple times in the 14 hours and... um, Certainly uh, tonight as well. Uh, our gratitude to Dr. Bill Burns, uh, John Burroughs, Tim McGarrick, today's outstanding co-host, uh, Stanton Friedman, Charles Halt, Dave and Tommy Jones of Caps Paranormal, Linda Moulton Howe, Steve uh, LaPlume, Monroe Nevels, Jim Penniston, Nick Pope, Peter Robbins, and Larry Warren. Uh, And last but certainly not least, our producer, Bill Schreiner of Active, uh, I should say, AchieveRadio.com, and our previous producer, Will Kosnick of CBS News Sky Radio. And I have to add uh, extemporaneous bit here. We are broadcasting today, uh, seat of the pants, as it were, from a remote farmhouse in rural Connecticut where Ben and I are investigating a a case that involves both ghosts and UFOs. We'll fill you in on that as we go. And uh, we want to thank Donna here, who is uh, not only uh, the owner of the farmhouse here, but also one of our show reporters. And you did hear a bit from Charlie the Dog uh, a few words uh, earlier on, and uh, we thank everyone here for their hospitality. So, again, we point out our websites, uh, BehindTheParanormal.com. This and all our Rendlesham shows are available in podcast form there. Uh, This show will be up within 24 hours, so please, uh, uh, they are free, and help yourself to those. You can also uh, subscribe to our newsletter at that site. It's a weekly newsletter that comes by email. You can buy my books. Everybody else has talked about their books tonight. You can buy mine. Uh, you can also su- subscribe uh, even through that site to earthfiles.com. We have a link uh, to Linda Moulton Howe's excellent site, uh, Linda Moulton Howe being a, uh, a renowned uh, science reporter uh, who has tremendous resources on that site. Well, you can become a reporter yourself for our show, uh, like Donna here has, and uh, you can... Uh, uh, apply for that at that site. All right, so podcasts of all our shows are available at www.behindtheparanormal.com, as previously mentioned. And if you can't get enough of us, you can see see yeah, we'll see you locally. Well, locally. Well, no, well, I'm, locally I'm and globally. Uh, well, we'll see you again in two hours, seven p.m. Eastern, five Pacific, for our regular weekly show on CBS Radio and. Boston, Detroit, and Seattle. We're not sure if we're in Philadelphia yet. Oh, hopefully sure. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, I get that wrong, too. All right, so w- on, yeah, on www.newskyradio.com and parax.com. We've had a tough weekend here, folks. Anyway. Yeah, it, it will be an open line show as we broadcast from the site of a case we are investigating somewhere in New England, even though it's in a remote location in... As you mentioned earlier. And uh, on our Monday Drive Time show in the Boston-Providence-Worcester Triangle on WON 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com, Ben and I will take the hour for another look uh, at the extreme paranormal. And if you think you've heard everything, think again. We're going to give you some pretty interesting cases, including some UFO stuff. Uh, And we do have one or two minutes here. Uh, Ben, what was your impression? uh, Did you want to have any, any personal uh, good wishes to say uh, to all those who have helped us with this series today. Thanks for giving us your time, because this is a very time-consuming show. 
yeah, everybody's put a lot of work into this. And we do have a, just a minute or two. If anyone has a final comment or a final um, a statement, uh, please, uh, or even question, please uh, go ahead, anyone on the panel. Well, I'd like to wish everybody a happy holiday season, and may next year we all be more enlightened than we are this year. And a little more prosperous, too. Thank you, Stan. Very <laughs> That would help. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Okay, very good. And uh, there we are, folks. Uh, again, uh, I'm going to thank you for being with us, and uh, stay tuned for our podcast. Uh, we're going to uh, end this portion of the show now. We're going to have time for one email that is not relevant to Randlesham. And I'll certainly invite our panel to stay with us if they'd, uh, if they'd like to uh, listen in or uh, even contribute to the answer here. We are still catching up with emails from our last Coast to Coast appearance. I understand Ben is the youngest person ever to appear on that show. And we have piles and piles of emails here. Uh, Here's one. uh, We're trying to cover these as quickly as we can, as many shows as we can. Nancy uh, in Yakima, Washington. And Nancy writes, uh, it has been an ongoing thing for a while, a bump against the bed. And uh, we've run into this in cases where people have reported grays in their homes, too, and seen UFOs bump against the bed. I've tried a couple of things to clear or change or fix the situation. Not sure that the problem has been resolved yet. Uh, Much love and light, Nancy. Well, I'm sorry, Ben, you're supposed to read the question, but it's kind of dark in here. Um, I'm going to suggest several things. Perhaps uh, some of the people on our panel are aware of the infrasonics situation. I know Stan certainly must be, too. Infrasonics is, um, to put it simply, a situation whereby a standing wave of sound literally gets trapped, in this case, a building, and it can create basic impressions of paranormal phenomena. Now, there's another question. Does this create the conditions in our mind that we think we're seeing paranormal phenomena of some kind? Uh, whether it be beakers clicking together in a laboratory, which is what happened when they discovered this, or somebody standing in your doorway, this sort of thing, or a a shaking bed or someone bumping into the bed or the impression of that happening. Or does it open doors to certain energies that can cause this stuff? We don't know. I would suggest, Nancy, try moving the bed, okay? Very often we find that there is, uh, in one part of a room, a certain electromagnetic field that's coming from somewhere, uh, sometimes right under the site from geotechnic reasons, and that, that can allow uh, the creation of some sort of standing wave of this kind or some other problem. If you move the bed 10 or 15 feet away, maybe the other side of the room or even to some other room, very often we find that these situations resolve themselves. I would also have your appliances checked. Now, oddly enough, A lot of strange things can happen when you have a faulty fan or a faulty appliance. Uh, This is what happened in the laboratory when this this sort of infrasonics uh, phenomena were discovered. So I would say... uh have your appliances checked or, or move them, turn them off, see if, see if uh, the uh, shaking stops. And uh, it could be a very, very simple situation such as that. If that does not work, write to us again, and perhaps we can suggest other steps. Well, you've been listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, our monthly uh, special here at the end of the month on AchieveRadio.com. And again, many, many thanks to our wonderful panel, the final in our Return to Rendlesham series. Return to Rendlesham 6 podcast will be up within 24 hours. And we wish you the very, very best over the next few uh, days and weeks. And we ask you to, what what was the saying? Keep watching the skies. And uh, many blessings and good wishes to you. And we'll see you again next week, next month, on Achieve Radio.
AchieveRadio.com. Hi, folks. This is Paul Eno, co-host of Behind the Paranormal here on Achieve Radio. We're very pleased to have as our sponsor New River Press and Barking Cat Books, publishers of some of the most unusual New Age titles on the market today. Along with four books by moi, New River Press offers the blockbuster on animal communication, Hear All Creatures, The Journey of an Animal Communicator by Karen Anderson, Shadows on My Shift, Real Life Stories of a Psychic EMT by Psychic Medium Sherry Lee Devereaux, Achieve Radio talk show host of Opening Your Intuitive Eyes, and in a true story that will break your heart with its beauty, especially if you've ever lost a child. There's 41 Signs of Hope by Dave Kane about the ongoing love and communication between a father and a mother and their son, youngest victim of the 2003 nightclub fire in Rhode Island. Finally, from Barking Cat Books, don't miss the action adventure that spans a thousand years, Heaven's Wave, a novel of the doomsday prophecy of 2012 by Dierlein. Visit NewRiverPress.com, BarkingCatBooks.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookstore.